Hey, my name is Alex, and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. And thank you to everybody who listened to my last episode on Lost in Translation. That was a lot of fun for me and my actual blood-related cousin to do, since he is a former film major and I am me. And I was thinking... So the process about that was I was thinking about what I wanted to do when I was on vacation, which is where you got those kind of more philosophically based two episodes. That was because Alex was in the deep south getting himself some good food. Um, but um, also having deep emotional cries about segregation and racism and all sorts of terrible things. Um, but I was I got to thinking, I'm like, Ah, maybe I should record an episode on Lost in Translation because, and this is, this is, we talked about this a little in the episode, and if you are interested in hearing what I have to say or what a f- former film major has to say about Lost in Translation, I encourage you to go back and listen to that because we had a lot of fun making it. People have seemed to really like it, um, and it's just a fun time all around. But I got thinking about, like, oh, I should talk about Lost in Translation. And then it all clicked into place, and I was like, if I'm going to talk about Lost in Translation, I should rope Danny, my cousin, into this whole mess. Um, I had done that twice before, which I might release on this feed, because they're just fun podcasts, with two different movies in the previous podcast that I hosted. Um, that was a little less, it was less tightly formed than this one, and I wanted this one to be really about, at, if not anime, but anime-adjacent things, but the thing we talked about there was, there was a point in recent, in the recent, in recent history, kind of around what people refer to as the bubble, where, uh, Japan was cool, quote-unquote. Like, Japan as a country and everything that came from Japan was seen as this, like, cool thing. And while for lots of people listening to this, including me, that never quite went away, but it was... It was such a... It had such critical mass at the time that... um, I think 2003 would have been right in it at the time that that movie came out, that all kinds of that stuff was coming out all the time. It was all variegated shades of, like, insensitive in a way that Lost in Translation definitely is. But I just I wanted to specifically talk about that film on this feed because I think it's important to put that stuff out there alongside anime because... It all has some, even if it's only tangential, relationship to each other. And if you thought in the past couple podcasts, man, Alex's mic audio sounds pretty weird, like he's Max Headroom lately. That is not on purpose. I've had a bad mic. My microphone went bad. And if I sound like an air traffic controller, it's because I feel like an air traffic controller. Not that I've been out of work for 
a month plus, but um, more that I um, am using a gaming headset to record this because I want to make sure that the recording is good and the recording is indeed good uh, using the headset. Um, but without further ado, before we get into what we're going to talk about today, I want to put a spoiler warning up. So, spoiler warning, I'm going to spoil the crap out of this movie. If you still want to see the movie I'm going, we're going, I'm going to talk about in this podcast, then go see it and come back and listen to this, because I'll be talking about specific plot points and, like, all that shit, so spoiler warning. Without further ado, though, this time we're going to be talking about what is getting a a movie that is getting a lot better buzz now than the first time around because it came out against the biggest movie on the planet, Your Name, and that movie is A Silent Voice. なにそれ受ける。いじめてたやつと友達。今日から新しい仲間が増えるぞ。友達だよ。お前さ、もっとうまくやらねえと、うざがられちゃうんじゃねえの。ああ、もう、立ち。気持ち悪い。俺最低な
who have been listening for a while, you may have heard me say this, but if you haven't, here's what, one of the big reasons I wanted to talk about a silent voice is I'm physically disabled. At, but I am physically disabled in a way that allows me to exist in the world without impediment. Short of one thing, and only one thing, and that is tying my shoes, and I wear flip-on shoes. Basically, since they were a main thing. So, I, I have the privilege of being the kind of disabled person who... While I do experience the act, like the, I do have the experience of being disabled, I am not withheld from doing anything because of it. And I even give a, I even give a, um, at this point yearly, although I need to register for it, um, again, I need to register for it this year, I give a yearly panel at, um, Liberty City Anime con in New York City on be on disabled characters in anime and the treatment of disabled characters in anime. So when I initially heard about a silent voice, I was like, yeah, I should go see a silent voice. And then I did what everybody else on the planet did, and I went to go see your name instead. I chose to have Makoto Shinkai wrap his hand around my heart and pump the blood for me instead of going see a silent voice. And what's funny is I went to, I generally, whenever I can, I go and see these movies where I have to go see them in the city with a really old friend of mine from college. And we, we went to go see silent voice together. We also went to see, um, what's it called? Um, the Night is Short Walk-On Girl together, and we went to go see this together. And usually she said yes because she learned over the years that I'm not going to ask her to go see something if I think she'll hate it. So, And usually I, if I'm, if I'm going to see it, I usually, it rises to a standard where she knows it's good to just say yes because I asked her. Um, but I, this movie has a really person is really personal for me in a way that it's not personal for a lot of people. And I, I, I want to state that up front because this is going to be an odd conversation because it will be a lot more of me in this and me talking about this movie than there usually is or has been in the past. Um, so, to start this movie off, I want to give a slight synopsis. Uh, this movie focuses on a primarily on a character named Shoya Ishida, and he they open they open the movie up in the past, and Shoya is kind of existing as a kid in public school in Japan. I think in Tokyo, but he's existing as a kid in public school in Japan, and he's kind of a shitty kid in sixth grade. And then, and they have all these different setups, like there's a kid 
who it's like he has these three friends and then he has this girl who is set up very much to be a love interest and um her name and I'm going to give her name specifically is um Nauka Ueno and I'm going to give her name because she will be important to my talking about this movie later on down the line. Um, and what happens is they get a transfer student. And the transfer student is the, like, the female protagonist of this movie. The, the, and her name is Shoko Nishimiya. And Shoko is unique because she is deaf. And for anybody who knows anything about deaf people, it's much like blindness and much like any disability, it's a sliding scale, meaning that deaf people can be anything from legally deaf, which means that they, that by the legal definition of being able to hear something, they cannot, but they can still hear and function and all that shit. In the same way that being legally blind is different from being actually blind. Shoko is, from what you can tell in the show, in in the movie, or in the film rather, act as close to actually death as you can get before... Like it's complete, it's complete silence permanently for the rest of your life, and that me that translates to her wearing hearing aids. And I, I actually knew someone like this in my past. I'm not going to say her name here because that's just not cool. But I knew someone who was deaf in the way that. She could hear, but only with the aid of hearing aid. I I even wore hearing aid as a kid because I didn't have enough shit wrong with me. But um, basically, even though she's wearing the hearing aid, she cannot hear you. And while she can talk, because often, often people who are disabled have a period of time before they were before they were disabled like they have a period of time when they could see or when or in my case when I could I could use my left hand and left leg completely normally until I was about 15 months old when they found out Alex had a brain tumor and they had to take it out of my skull <laughs> um but the Thing with so what happens there is that Shoko could hear could hear up to a point, and when you encounter when you first meet her in the film, she can no longer hear, or she can barely hear. And there's a scene we're all familiar with in anime, and and specifically anime about transfer students. And that is that the 
the transfer student introduction scene. And this movie uses that to introduce her and introduce the her the audience and the cast of the movie to her disability. And that means that when the teacher calls her in, the she introduces herself by pulling out a notebook and she writes on the notebook it says my name is Shoko or my name is Nisha Mia if you want to talk to me please use this notebook and this cuts all these kids off at the knees basically because they don't like they don't know how to handle it and it's it, the problem is, is that they it, now it becomes an effort for these kids to a- ask her like the question of like where are you from what kind what kind of stuff do you like all the all the stuff that you see you know that you see kids do in um in anime in not only anime films but in real life like when when you were a kid and you met a new kid you were fascinated because it was something new that came out that came into your world from outside that that you hadn't had access to before i remember we had a um exchange student from greece in i think 8th grade and everybody was just fascinated by her because we were all like, whoa, that, that's a whole other country. What are we going to do, Bob? Um, and it, it, cutting that off by the knees instantly, like, as a little kid, you don't necessarily know what to do. Add that to a little interesting phenomenon that I've always experienced, but most people, but most people haven't. And that is when you're a, when you're a kid and you're, and you have something, some serious thing in your life, something that is beyond just the the stupid, like, little problems that people have in their lives, it becomes a, a real, it becomes a real dividing line between you and every one you'll ever meet. Because most people in the world don't have real problems. And I don't mean to diminish anybody who has a a problem in their life right now that's important to you, that's, it, it is deeply moving for you. But if you step back and it does not, and, and it does not, and at the end of the day, you'll, you still get to go home and go to bed, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Most, most of like the little minutia issues that, everybody including me deals with 
day-to-day are fine. But what that means is when you encounter an unfixable problem, part of you, part of everybody, freezes a little. And that's because there is something truly uncomfortable in the kind of empathy that someone can have for people who have problems that are real. Like, when I when I tell you that I am a brain cancer survivor, part of you is like, oh, that's really cool. That's awesome. I will tell you that is the way I get everybody to clap when I run my panel at Liberty City at Liberty City Anime Con. But another part of you is like, holy shit, that's a big deal. That's why everybody claps and everybody has this sense of like genuine pride and humanity and empathy for someone who survived brain cancer. But for me, it's just a part of what I've been through. And for me, that thing is normal. And one of the best things about Shoko the character and about this movie is that the Shoko's family, who you do meet eventually, you meet her mother and you meet um, uh, Yuzu, who is um, Shoko's, Shoko's, I think, little sister. And you get the sense that Shoko has had a world that is wholly, has grown up, and you also meet Shoko's father, who, oh, no, you don't meet Shoko's father, but you meet Shoko's mother, who is notably a single mother of two girls. So, yeah, did that. Um, but you also meet, I think, they, at least they never show her father. But, you get, anyways, my point is, you get the sense that they are creating an air of normalcy for Shoko that is precisely, if this is the way your life is, it is normal. And that's, that may not seem important, but when you are a disabled kid, specifically, when you are someone who's not just, like, who's not just a little odd, when you are someone who is definably different from, definably and physically different from everyone around you, it is important that you get to feel normal. Because if you go through your entire life not feeling normal, then it it erects a metaphorical brick wall between you and every other part of life. You you will never get to be you will never get to be normal because you have never been normal. And later on when you grow up, you realize that the world is different by default and you realize that you can exist in that world exactly as you are without 
anyone without being made to feel inferior because you are different. And that's, that's really important, and it's really important that Shoko's family demonstrates that as a guiding principle in raising her. And you really see that w once the character has grown up and she's in high school, and yes, she is extremely different from everyone else, but she still has the capacity to be with everyone else and be connected to people because she was told her entire life by her family, this is normal. This, Whatever is normal for you is your normal, and it's not something that you need to be ashamed of. Interestingly, in the movie, they, and I think that this was a choice on by Eleven Arts, the studio, by Eleven Arts and even um, Kyo, um, Kyoto Animation, the studios that made this, the people who made this film, um, Shoya's, um, Shoya's family that he lives with are his sister and his sister's kid, who you'll know, who you notice immediately is black. <laughs> and then, and they kind of use it as a gag more than as a serious thing, but you're led to believe that Shoya's older sister is really married to this guy and has been married to this guy for at least since Shoya was in fourth or fifth grade. And it's just this big black dude <laughs> who, once again, is used as just like a poignant what the fuck was that gag at first and then later like uh, like oh no he's uh, like big big black dad is here and so Shoya has his own like defined normalcy in the fact that he doesn't live him and something in something happened to his parents that he lives with his older sister his older sister is married to someone who is clearly not from Japan and has a kid with them. And, like, he cares for the kid whose name is um, Mira. And she's an adorable, adorable little black girl. Um, and Mira, oh, good God, is going to have an interesting universe um, because she is going to grow up biracial in a country that calls, that has, like, a specific idea of biracial people. Um, and I also think it's interesting that they have a little biracial girl in this movie when Cup Noodle just got fucking dragged through the dirt rightfully for... By the way, I'm also biracial, so this is... This is also a hot button for me. Um, I'm I'm a lot of I'm a lot of I'm a lot of extra things, but um, Cup Noodle just turned the famous uh, tennis star Naomi Na Naomi Osaka just into a white girl in a new in a 
commercial for cup noodles. And if you've ever seen Naomi Osaka, you know she is not just a white girl. She is definably half black, half Japanese. Um, but so it's really interesting that they give um Shoya a specific a a a similarity to Shoko in the way that they are both from abnormal family settings. But, you know, uh, Shoya is ultimate. So, when Shoko shows up to class, you know, Shoya is uh, kind of just a goofball. But he's, like, kind of stunned that she really can't hear. And people start to pick on, people start to pick on Shoko. And there's a, there's one, there's a scene in the early part of the movie where, um, a character, what's her name, what's her name? Oh, by the way, the the black guy's named Pedro, because god damn it, they're always named Pedro. Um, a character named Miyoko says, "Like, I'll learn sign language because they they." So this is another. This is gonna be another fun personal story from Alex. Um, oftentimes when you're disabled, when you're a disabled kid and you're in class. There is, and sometimes this is the right approach, sometimes it's the wrong approach. There is some kind of attempt to help your classmates understand your disability and, and also help your classmates, like, be, be closer to you. So, Shoko is, because Shoko is deaf, one of the first steps for, you know, deaf people is Yogo learn sign language. <laughs> and Shoko has learned sign language since she was a kid, had known sign language since she was a kid. And they bring in a sign language teacher to the class at some point. Oh, but before that, we need to get to the most important and terrifying part of this film, and that is the fact that in America, we have a law called the ADA, or Americans with Disability Act. And it is, it undergirds a lot of what you see in the world. It is why we have disabled parking spaces. It is why every building you see has some kind of wheelchair access. It is why all kinds of things happen in American life. Lots of them municipal and structural, um, but they don't, they don't have that in every other country in the world. If you go to Europe, they have similar things, but they're not as, they're not as extreme or as kind of grand as the ADA in lots of cases. So in Europe, you don't see wheelchair access ramps everywhere. Um, but there are 
there like there are people to help disabled people and all that stuff. At least if this movie posits correctly, this death this deaf sixth sixth grader did not have anybody to help her in class when she couldn't hear the teacher talking. <laughs> and if you've ever struggled in school, imagine what it would be like if you were struggling because you could not hear the words coming out of your teacher's mouth as they were teaching the class. That is terrifying. And it, that scene like shook me in a way in this movie, shook me in a way that is just not most things don't shake me because I usually like I don't have a connection that that personal to movies oftentimes. I mean, it's not it's not entirely uncommon that I have a personal connection to a movie, believe me. I run a podcast about anime on the internet. I have lots of connections to lots of films and lots of cartoons and lots of movies and lots of TV shows. But that was like, oh shit, this poor girl, that's fucked up. And it's it's made all worse by the fact that she's getting like she's getting teased in the way that so I happen to like get really young kids because really young kids see like a complicated adult and they're just like there's no judgment made they're just like curious and that's fine but there comes a point with kids right around the what we would call junior high school age seriously well actually right around fourth or fifth grade actually unfortunately where that curiosity flips from curiosity to a mix of frustration and fear of the unknown and that and that is on full display in this In this show, um, if you want a great another great example of it, go watch the first episode of My Hero Academia, like the very first episode of the first season. Because uh, it sounds weird, but Yo Midoriya is a disabled kid at the beginning of that show because he exists as a normal human in a world of people who have superpowers which makes him not only a minority but un but incapable of doing things that lots of other people can do because they have superpowers um but the the result is that kids tease kids they don't understand and they they see them as losers and weak and a whole bunch of other things and the first part of a silent voice is devoted to that feeling among those kids and it but what happens is it's like there's some like you can always expect
kids to fuck with other kids. Like, it's just the thing that's going to happen. It's... It's not... It's not... You will never erase bullying completely, but there becomes a point where bullying shifts from being just a thing that happened to being truly malicious. And that's laid out plainly and clearly in this movie most egregiously by first the kids start taking Shoko's notebook and they start well they for actually, uh, that's in the wrong order. I want to be really specific about this because an, there are important scenes here for the rest of the movie. Um, first, the kids just start poking her and prodding her, and Shoya kind of leads the way on this. He <coughs> he the the big notable thing he does is he rolls up, like, his workbook, his, like, classroom workbook, and he screams through it into Shoko's ear. And it, like, startles her because it's loud... You realize it's loud enough for even her to hear, which means it is probably ear-piercingly loud. And it, like... And she's, like, fucked up by that. She's like, ah! Because, once again, when you're that deaf can't you hearing something is not that common so like the act of it happening it's just like ho it's really startling um but it continues from there eventually him and him and um Ueno who once again will come up later, again later, play keep away with her hearing aid. And they also routinely throw her notebooks into the school pond. And they ultimately, the movie ultimately had this really fucked up and heartbreaking, but like, shown in having a playful bend to it, which is also fucked up because, for a very specific reason, which I'll mention in a second, of this montage of them stealing her hearing aids and playing keep away and throwing them in the trash, throwing them in the in the river, throwing them in the pond, you know, like, smashing them. And it's so fucked up that it's portrayed as a playful thing because that's what the kids feel like it is. Like, they're they're teasing her, they're playing with her, they're... It, lots of times, bullying in the act... When someone is in the act of doing the bullying, it feels playful. It's all good fun. Like, you, you know... It, it, it's just for a lark. It you are having fun by bullying another person. You are taking fun. You are taking fun out of ruining someone's life. That that is a thing that happens. And it, 
It's just the way bullying is. But it all comes crashing down when um, Shoko transfers to another school. And nobody knows why. And um, at first, and 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 they bring in a teacher. They bring in a, specifically. They bring in a guidance counselor, and they say Shoko will no longer be attending the school. Her her mother felt that she was being physically and emotionally abused in our school, and they say specifically, if anybody knows who instigated this, please let us know. And they pause. And it, this is the point at which everybody in the class realizes, like, oh, we fucked up. We fucked up this little girl's life. For, and, like, to be clear, Shoya is shown as being the primary force that bullies Shoko in the beginning of the movie. But he is not the only one who did it. Everyone in this movie is culpable in some way. Whether it's... Uh, everybody in his class is culpable in some way. Whether it's... Ueno, who was like the chief girl bully. Whether it's... Um... Uh, ba -da -ba -ba -ba, um, or this other girl, I forget her name. She's not listed here, which is weird. Um, I want to get more characters. I want to get more characters. Here we go, more characters. Um, whether it's um, what's her name? Whether it's Miki, who just kind of stood on the sidelines and was like perfectly happy, like being nice to Shoko at first blush, but not doing anything about the bullying. Uh, all of them were in on it, with the exception of. Uh, where is she? With the exception of. Uh, but, 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 um, I'm sorry, I want to get these names right because they are important to the rest of the movie. Um, and, and I realize this particular podcast will probably be a little long, but I want, I, I want that for this movie because I think that this movie is really and truly important. Um, hold on. The the character I'm just gonna say the character who learns sign language to be better friends with Shoko in the beginning of the movie. She is the only person who steps up and tries to really be Shoko's friend and tries to offer uh, not only a helping hand but an accommodating one. And as as Somebody who is disabled, I can tell you that one of the most heartwarming things that you can do for a disabled person is to 
A, not ask how you were disabled, how you became disabled, but also to, like, accept and understand that that is that person's normal and do everything you can to be able to help that person, you know, be and help that person feel normal. And in Shoko's case, um, someone out. El- someone else in her class offering to learn sign language is a huge olive branch because it means that Shoko doesn't have to like write notes back and forth with this person to talk to them, that this person is willing to say, I will learn a second language so we can just talk and not have the burden of a pad of paper separating us at all times. And that's really valuable um my the actually one of the funniest stories i will tell um i'm gonna tell right now is that the person i want to go see this movie with i've known for over a decade like significantly over a decade since i was in college when i was 19 and um she she's actually japanese and Many, many, for many, many years, she has, we've gone to dinner on my birthday. And one year we went to a really, really, really expensive steakhouse. And the entire time, actually on multiple occasions we've been to expensive steakhouses now that I think about it, and every time she's done this, she takes my food from me and cuts it for me because I, like a moron, or just it wasn't possible to have something cut up or even if I say I want something, my food cut, like cut before it gets here, they can't always, people don't always do that correctly. So she, and she does this for more than just steak, but steak is the way I can demonstrate it the best. She compensates for the fact that I can't do something. But the other thing is, she doesn't even fucking ask. <laughs> she just, like, it's seamless. It's weird. And it's it's something about her that I've always noticed and something about her that I will always appreciate. But at the same time, like, it's a demonstration of friendship and caring in the physical world and appreciation and understanding in the physical world. It's a little mind-blowing if you, like, back up away from it. And I should also mention, we have never be- we are now and have never been romantically involved. We have been, like, we've had a, I would call it almost brother-sister-like relationship in a lot of ways. And that materializes lots of times in behaviors. That make us seem like an old, weird married couple, which is hilarious. And if she hears this, she's gonna murder me. But, whatever. Um, but... So... Everyone except for the character who learned sign language is culpable in this. But because Shoya is... Like, the most culpable... And he is the one who is noticed... Who people notice instigating the most the teacher 
like straight up says because even the teacher feels like shit because this this girl who is just trying to like get through school was like physically and emotionally abused at, like under his tutelage is now like has now run had to remove herself from the situation she he just like he's like Shoya we know it was you and he totally fucking lights him up in front of the entire class and then Ueno like shoots him in the back both like spatially in the movie and like metaphorically and he is he is scapegoated for his actions, yes, but for kind of the entire class's actions. Because, yes, he bullied Shoko, and that is wrong. But the whole class got in on it. You know, his friends... It's notable that his friends never once... That his friends at this point in the movie never once said, like, hey man, chill the fuck out. She's not okay. And that that's important because, you know, good people do not get to sit on the sidelines of this shit. At any point, at any point in history, if you think you're a good person, you sit on the sidelines while you watch someone get bullied, you don't get a pass. It's not a thing you get to just sit out because if someone if someone is being bullied if you see someone being physically or emotionally bullied and you don't do something about it you're part of it and it, but the difference is that shoya was scapegoated and shoya was and the result of that is Shoya's shitty blonde friend, who I forget his name, but he's he's only important in the movie so far as he is the kind of flashpoint for the for the whole um for for the conceit of Shoya's character in the future, along with the fact that Shoya's sister takes all this money she saved up and goes to um uh Shoko's mother and gives Shoko's mother the money for the hearing aids like that all that money for the hearing aids that Shoya is now burdened on the fact that he trashed burned with the fact that he trashed and uh, Shoko's mother, um, Yeko, is, like, fucking devastated. She's fucking devastated, and she's furious. And, like, if if they're the mom of the year for 2016 in anime, it should be, it should be Yeko, because she is so fiercely protective of her, ch of her child. Um, 
that like she fucking she lays the motherfuckers out in this movie. <laughs> she like puts Shoya's older sister like in her plate. Like she's just like you son of the dick bag. <laughs> kind of like treatment towards Shoya's older sister, and like in a way that is like. How could you let this, how could you let your kid think this was okay? How could you let your little brother, someone in your family, think that treating someone like this is okay? Do better, kind of thing. Like, and it's important that people say that because oftentimes bullies aren't given the, and I, I don't necessarily mean to turn this into a PSA, but it's important for this movie, which is why I keep talking about bullying. A lot of the way bullies are is allowable by the world around them. People don't, enough people don't say to bullies, this isn't okay. This isn't the way you act. This isn't how you do this. You know, you respect people. You uh, and the the golden rule sounds corny, but, you know, you, if you function under that, and if you put that towards anybody who you, who you associate with, then they should, un- then, like, you should make sure they understand that, especially kids. I remember when I was... In, I want to say, fourth grade. Uh, no, it's fifth grade specifically. Um, I have a weird memory. Um, I remember everything in some way. It's bizarre. But um, I was walking up to the bus stop. And there was this kid. This kid who um, lived in the same neighborhood as me. And there was this other kid. Um, and... The other kid was actually actually in um, special education classes with me. But he was, like, shoving this other, like, the the first kid relentlessly, and he wasn't leaving him alone. And I was just like, what the fuck is happening? What's going on? And I just, like, I'm going to call the kid who was bullying the kid the first kid B. And I just, like, I physically separated them. I'm like, B, what the fuck? What are you doing? And I cursed him out. I I cursed at him like a sailor, flipped him off a bunch of times, and, like, got the other kid onto the bus, went on the bus myself, acted as a barrier, and, like, we rode to school. And there's something really important that you need to understand about what I'm about to say next. Our principal was disabled. Like, he walked around with a cane. He was really awesome. And I got called into the principal's office for defending this kid because I used potty mouth words. I told the kid, I told this kid be to fuck off and to go fuck himself and then I flipped him off like three times um and 
the principal was like, Alex, I'm like, who's picking on this other kid? What was I supposed to do? Also, this was at the bus stop, yo. And the, like, immediate snapback on B was amazing. <laughs> like, it, like it, the whole house of cards fell down on top of him. It was incredible. And, like, the principal was like, was basically told the kid, and not, so, not the words I use, to go fuck himself. <laughs> and what was he doing? Bullying other kids. And why was he complaining about shit that happened outside of school on school grounds? Like, he used every single part of the system to f- fucking reprimand this kid into the ground. I think the kid was even, I think B was even, gro- was even like, grounded and or given, like, detention or kept in at recess because of that. It was a prideful moment for me. Like, I, I intervened in bullying and I stopped it. That kid later went on to still be a dickbag, but, you know, I stopped the bullying. And so, as a result of of Shoya's actions, his, like, shitty blonde friend who was also in on the bullying turns on him in middle school and is like, yo, this kid is a bully, stay away from him. And at which point, you're like, hmm, true. But you are too, because you let it happen, you little shitbag. What? For like the 19th time in this movie, I want to jump into the screen and German suplex you into a fucking ballard, you piece of shit child. And Shoya is then, because he is branded as a boy, he is ostracized from his entire class. And he is, he develops severe anxiety. He develops the inability to look anybody outside of his family in the eyes. And they have this amazing way in this movie of demonstrating otherness. And that demonstration is with, I don't know if this is in the manga or not, but I've I've be curious to know if it was. It, it, they put the like wiggly X's over everybody's um faces, and the way you tell that he starts to make friends with people throughout the movie is the X's fall away like paper. And it's it's just it's a cool. It it's a thing that. Animate it, it's it's a reason for this movie to be animated instead of live action because in live action they would have had to they would have still been able to do it but it would have been either odd looking or it would have been different and it it would have a different effect and it its effect using the X's and having the X's fall away is really revelatory and it also plays an important like plot it demonstrates the plot of the movie and because Shoya has such it Shoya is thrown into like deep fucking depression by this and because Shoya is so like 
shook by this. He enacts a plan. He gets a part-time. He gets a part-time job. He makes like he makes all of them. He makes like basically as you're led to believe like pile like a, a fat stack of fucking money. It's never said how much the hearing aids cost, but you're led to believe that he makes that amount up over like years of a shitty part-time job pushing pushing um shopping carts in a supermarket park parking lot. He makes all this money up and he had this creepy ass motherfucking calendar where like the rest of the month is fucking ripped away where he packages the money up, leaves it for his older sister, and then he walks to the bridge to fucking kill himself. No no joke. And at first you feel like he, at first it's portrayed like he's feeling bad for himself because he feels bad and he doesn't know what he did. But you learn that he does know what he did and that he, he is trying to be, he understands that he, that his actions have created a negative rippling effect in everyone's lives, and he should pay for that. And he's right, but it, in being right about that, he has grown out of it. And so, what the rest of the movie becomes is, A, he runs into Shoko, and he realizes that Shoko has transferred back, that Shoko is, you know, go taking special remedial classes at at her at a different at a different school it, but it, at a school specifically for people with disabilities I think for people with disabilities um oh no she's taking she's taking advanced sign language classes at with other people um at like a community center and he seeks her out he he ultimately meets her her younger sister gets the shit slapped out of him by their mother and there's this he 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 sees that he he realizes what Shoko and Shoko always wanted was always making this one gesture and it's the sign language gesture for friendship. And he never understood what that meant. And he always thought she was a weirdo. And, but once, but anytime she's like, she would say, she would say, she would muster the effort because if you don't know anything about deaf people, deaf people can talk, they just don't. And A, because they don't, like, they don't speak clearly. And because they don't speak clearly, it's hard to understand them. And because it's hard to understand them, they don't talk. And when you don't talk for most of your life, your vocal cords are not used to it because they're not used often. And you... It, it takes a lot of effort for you to speak to someone when you're deaf. Because you have to concentrate 
on what you hope is the right word, on what you, and like concentrate to do the act of talking. And also, you have a lot of hang-ups about how your voice probably sounds. And so, when she says, and they have a really, they have a really great um, demonstration of what she sounds like in the um, in the VO for this for this film. If you want another great, if you want a, actually another hilariously great deaf character, like best deaf character until a silent voice came out. Um, you can go watch, and it's really the only reason to go watch this. Um, Nicholas in Gangsta, he is off. He is like an adult who's a badass who's fucking also deaf. But he, the way they have him speak, is also the way you would hear a deaf guy speak. Like he 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 talks, but not, but only when he has to, or only when he feels he has to or really wants to. Um. But he, but, uh, so she, and that's important for a little later, but they kind of, he realizes that she was just looking for a friend and he does his, and he does not only his best, but his, like, he gives 110%. He learns, he learns sign language. He seeks her out. Which is, I can't stress enough that if you know somebody who's disabled and you want to be friends with them and you, and it seems difficult at first, it's because lots of disabled people, myself included, have really strong attachments to the people they know. And they, their friendships are important to them in a way that is true, that can be true of other people, but to us, all of our friends are like family because we are so separate from 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 other people that for people to recognize us and to want to be friends with us is... is amazing on all kinds of levels. I I haven't my other my other friend who I also went to college with is really good friends with me and we've been friends for we've been friends for longer than I'm friends with the girl from Japan. I have a lot of female friends. Um and she goes, "You and Kie are weird." Or you and your friend, oops, I might bleep that out. You and your friend, you and Kay, I'm going to call her. You and Kay are real weird. Because you're way too close for not being, for not being romantically involved. And it, it, I'm like, yeah, but look at how many friends I have. It's basically you and her. And I'm equally as close to you, except for a few, like, 
arbitrary barriers that we've all set up with each other so, like, a line doesn't get crossed that can't be crossed back over. And and those are really arbitrary and fall away at the drop of a hat if necessary. And it... So, what I'm trying to say here is if you are... If you have any kind of even friendship interest in somebody with a disability, make, make that effort to reach out, make that effort to continuously reach out, because that's what Shoya does in the second part of the movie, in the main part of the film. And it means that they get to become friends, and they get to become real friends, and they become close in a way that is diff- that would that's difficult to see from the outside. And ultimately, it, that drives Shoko to love Shoya. And you realize that later on in the film that Shoko, particularly after Shoko gets heartbreaking news that her hearing aids are, that only one of her hearing aids is helping her anymore, that she has got, that she, her, her, Deafness had declined. You led to believe again. Um, and oh, and by the way, I want to bring this up because I think it's really important. I know this is a really long podcast, but what the fuck ever, uh, this is important to me, and I hope you enjoy it. But this is important to me. Um, they point. They make a point of showing you her hearing aids when she's a kid, because they, like, straight up take them out of her ears. And the hearing aids when she's a kid, while expensive, they're, like, $1,500 a fucking piece. I know, because... I know. Are, like, the shitty, like, flesh tone old people bullshit. <laughs> and then, when she's in high school... You see these, like, beautiful, designed, custom, like, red and glittery hearing aids that she wears. And it's just like, this happens, this happens, this happens as a disabled person. When you are younger, because you are growing up, there's not a lot of, like, it's like, the the minimum amount of effort is expended into making something that's right for you. Because it's just going to break. Something will happen to it. Like, you know, when she was a kid, Shoko probably had to take her hearing aids out if she wanted to go swimming. Which means that... But if she wears them all the time, she might just forget, jump in the pool, pair of hearing aids ruined. Not her fault. But also, you don't want to spend the maximum amount of money if that's going to happen every once in a while. (laughs) Just like, like, Alex is going to break a leg brace, like, sometimes weekly. <laughs> so we're not going to spend a whole lot of money making Alex's braces, like, the custom awesomeness they could be. But now that I'm adult, an adult, and, like, I don't go full-on miles per hour down the street running... Constantly, mostly because I'm out of shape, but also because I'm not sick anymore. Um, I have, like, this beautiful, 
handcrafted, like black at night, awesome leg brace. And I did, I that was a another weird little like, ha, they got that right moment that I had with the movie. When I was like, oh yeah, she gets the nice hearing aid now because she's old enough to like remember like, oh, I gotta take these out before I go to the beach, kind of thing. Um, but, so, yeah, just, the movie turns into this love story between Shoya and Shoko, and also a story about Shoya reconnecting to the world and making friends again, and they make this big group of friends, and then, like, at a pivotal point in the movie, it all falls apart. But part of the reason it falls apart is because of of Ueno. And Ueno is... You're led to believe she just, like... She grew up and nobody told her... that Nobody told her explicitly that she was being a total bitch about the world. And she is given a period of time alone with Shoko, and she basically tells Shoko, I hate you, I think you're a bitch, you need to go die. And Shoko tries to, like, she tries to reach out and tries to be kind and tries to be a, like, like she tries to, like, appeal to humanity. Which, and I, I've had what happened to Shoko happen to me later in life than than happened to Shoko, but I've had her that happen to me um, in a different way, but similar enough where I understand what what happened that scene in a real way, and it takes it takes a like world it takes a world ending event in this movie for Ueno to realize that she's the problem not Shoko and sadly those world ending events don't happen often this world ending event is that um new year comes around and um there's a a really funny funny hilarious scene that when you look at it in the context of the movie could have veered the movie into a different place or into the end of the movie earlier if they hadn't pulled the scene off the way they did and that is when Shoko confesses to Shoya and Shoko says I like you to to Shoya in like a, the way like I'm in love with you in like an unmistakable way but because of the way that I like you Sounds in Japanese. It's very similar to Suki, which is which means moon, and Shoya just like innocently. It's just like, what do you mean the moon? And it is so embarrassing. Uh, like Shoko is like she could she runs home. She slams into her bed and kicks her feet furiously. She's so embarrassed and so upset. And that, that like, scene in the movie, you notice that Shoko is, like, put her hair up, and, Shoko, and she's t- 
talking to her family. She's talking to her sister. Her sister freaked out. She's like, oh, fuck. What's happening? Why are you talking? This is weird. <laughs> and she's like, also, you put your hair up. You're being weird. Why are you being weird? I'm concerned. And uh, it's because Shoko is like, hyped herself up and she's going to confess to Shoya and it just all falls apart. And the thing that could have been prevented in this movie is Shoko and Shoya and uh, Yuzu and and Shoya and Yuzu's mother all go to um the fire all go to the fireworks for New Year's together and Shoko's mother is now, like, accepting of the fact that, like, man, Shoya's just here, and, like, I he he was a shitbag to my kid, but he seems, genu- like, he seems to genuinely want to be close to Shoko, so I'm just gonna back off, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy that he's learned the error of his ways, and that he's come around to being a good human, and not only being a good human, but being the kind of human who genuinely cared for and you're led to understand loves my daughter now <laughs> and she just accepts it so she's fine she's no longer like like on sighting this guy every time <laughs> which is literally what happens like when she sees him when he's in a when like in the movie proper after the opening part she's just like bish smacks him and he, He's just like, oh, fuck, I deserve that, I guess. Fuck, I really deserve that. I forgot, wow, I deserve that. But, um, Shoko leaves. And she's like, I- I'm not feeling really well, I'm going home. And Shoya recognizes a distance in her. And so he goes home, and they have this weird conversation about like she's 18 already and a it's the first time they put an age on these characters and like you're like up okay they're they're 18 i get it and you think that and but that also sets up in your like anime brain like oh there's gonna be like a weird like romantic I thought they were going to straight up like have some sort of sex scene. Um, I was prepared for that because this movie, like this movie, makes that not makes it not an abnormal possibility. It's not just me being a total pervo, but it makes it not an abnormal possibility that that could have been where they were going. But the way they were going was Shoko was going to kill herself. She was going to jump off her balcony and fucking kill herself. And, but Shoya gets there in time. He catches her at, in, like, the last moment. He's holding on to her, struggles her up, and then he falls off the balcony and goes into a coma. And Shoko is fucking devastated. I'm, I, it, because the guy she likes, the guy who's, like, The guy, the person who acted as her light in the world, as the person who gave her the ability, who, who yes, the, 
the person who at every point somehow guided within her life, the person who she'd always wanted to be close to, but never could be, and then was, saved, stopped her from dying, and then, but because of that, he put himself into a coma. And then she tries to go to see him. And Ueno stops him. And Ueno stops her. And at this point, I want to mention a, one of the friends who is like the first quote-unquote friend that Shoya makes outside of Shoko. And his name is, where is he? He, he looks like, um, he looks like that little shit kid from My Hero, actually. Where is he? He's, he's here. Um, oh, um, Tomohiro, and Tomohiro is, like, this, like, he is, like, the kind of guy who is, like, meek, and, who is meek and standoffish, but, like, once you get to know him, he's, like, entirely too, too confident in himself in a way that makes him fucking charming as goddamn hell, um, uh, we we could all do so well as to have a friend like Tomohiro. He's great. And he tried to get Ueno to open up the hospital room and let Shoko in, but she won't. And they have this... I don't think it's the second time they do a montage. It might be the third, but they have this montage of Ueno leaving the hospital every day at the end of visiting hours. Like, Ueno has, like, stopped going to school or is going to, or is going to school for half days and then going to, like like, care for Shoya the other half of the day, or whatever she's doing. She is, like, that is what she's doing with her life. She is Shoya's, like, overseer, basically. And they have her coming out of the hospital, and every time she comes out of the hospital, she encounters Shoko waiting there. Sometimes with an umbrella, sometimes, like, they show it in, like, all the, like, the entire time that Shoya's out, which you're led to believe is, like, a good couple months. And then they have a scene where Ueno is, like, kicking the shit out of Shoko. And, like, you asshole. The guy I like, the guy who you stole from me, is in a coma because of you, you piece of shit. And then Yeko comes in and just kicks the daylights out of Ueno. And they get into, like, a knockout, a drag-out, knockdown fucking fist fight <laughs> between a grown woman and a teenage girl. And it's like... And then Shoya's older sister just separates them. It's like, fucking knock it off. We're all kind of, we're all here because of the same person. We all care about the same person. And she brings, Shoya's older sister brings this common senseness to the whole scenario that no one can deny. And it, that's the point at which the flip, like, the, a change happens to, to Ueno. And, Shoko, by the way, also has a broken arm, so now she's like, she's like two strikes, um, and ultimately, 
Shoya wakes up and just like this big dramatic scene where Shoya and Shoko meet up and they like finally have a moment where it's like they're at complete equal and they can be with each other and it's like all a happy ending. And, but the funniest thing that happens at the end is they go to um, Shoya's school festival and that's when Shoya revealed like, I have really bad anxiety and can't look people in the eye. And I need to, like, like people think I'm a shitbag. <laughs> and Shoko's just like, okay. And this is the best thing. This is the best thing. <laughs> because, and I mentioned this before when I talked about my friend Kay and her, like, cutting of my steak. Shoko's like, it's okay, you can look down, I don't give a shit. Shoko takes his hand, looks straight ahead, and they just, like, go through the festival, and he's looking down, but he can hear, she's looking up, can't hear or talk to people, and it's this... It's this moment in the show when you realize, like, this is what a couple... And it doesn't at that point it doesn't even have anything to do with disability. It has to do with loving people for who they are and loving your partner, whoever they may be, for who they are, and accepting their flaws instead of trying to pretend that their perfection is why you love them and dealing with them as they as they come. And Shoko is Shoko is depending on Shoya and Shoya is depending on Shoko equally at that at that point. And that is amazing. It is it is what that is what love looks like when it's real. When and when and when it's real and you don't care about what it looks like to other people. It's just it's just it's really incredible. As like as like a scene, it's played for last, but it's really an incredible scene of the movie. And at the end of the movie, it, they kind of end it with the fact that like Ueno still acts distant and still an asshole, but she cares. Gen but she cares about Shoko because Shoko cares about Shoya, and sh like in a weird way, she comes to understand and ultimately cares about Shoko too. And it, it this whole movie, and I know that I've been ranting for an hour and a half, and usually these are like 48 minutes to an hour, but it, this is a really important film. It it has more things that it wants to say about the world than a film like Your Name does, which has some things to say about the world, but it... Your Name is a successful film because Makoto Shinkai got off his, got off his grind and was like, I will make something that is... Ultra that is Shinkai sad in a way that is marketable. A silent voice 
is a successful film because it is trying to do something with its storytelling that is I think profound. It is trying to tell is trying to tell a story about characters with flaws and characters with and a and characters with real disabilities that are existing in the real world as it is and it's trying to show the what real human kindness and what real human love for people who are truly different is and it's trying to show all the different um like variants of it and to end this I want to talk about a character who I haven't talked about much and that is Miki and Miki is uh is this like blonde pig is this like you like to believe blonde pigtailed girl who wears glasses all the time and there's a point in the movie at which she comes in and her hair is let down she's wearing contacts and like she had drawn differently she she like because of the way they draw her it like she's a total knockout of a girl and like all the girls in class are like wow you look so great with your hair down and she she plays it off like yeah like i didn't i just didn't have time to do it this morning it's really cuz i'm lazy blah 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 but you know she never puts her hair back up she never put she never goes back to that look And the point at which Shoya makes this conscious decision to like shit all over everybody because he think because um Sho um Shoko's little sister gives her his gives her her camera and says you know take pictures of the fer of the Ferris wheel when you're up there with Ueno which is where Ueno says. Your your bitch, I hate you, Chishoko. And the way that you're shown this is, um, use is Yuru or Yuzu rather takes puts the camera in video mode and gives it Shoko so they can like see what the fuck happened up there. And Shoya like gets very very like as part of that and as part of other other parts of the movie the whole the whole friend group start like breaks up and it is Shoya specifically who decides I'm going to break all of this up I like I'm done he remains friends with Shoko and um and Tomohiro is just like, it's cool, man, I get it, I'm a shitbag. And, like, he laughs it off, and he's, he, he is the awesome that you expect him to be in that situation, even though you weren't expecting it, and it's, like, awesome. But he, that's the point in the movie which he said to Miki, like, you know, you were complicit in it. Like, you, you, you let the 
you let me bully Shoko when we were kids. This is your fault. I like 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 this you're part of this too. You know, I I noticed that you like started being an attention whore is basically what he says. And uh, that that flaw is never back it ne they never backpedal on that flaw from Miki. They just let they just let everyone understand that that's who she is and they under they let everyone understand that that's who all these that all these characters are they presented. They give them a full fleshed out thing. Including Shoko. Shoko you know is want to see the best in the world regardless of what happens. And it is like seen like it is to her detriment lots of times. She she tries to be nice to Ueno and Ueno is until the very end of the movie an unending bitch to her. <laughs> and it But Shoko always responds with kindness. And it, it, and uh, up until the m moment when, it, and at the end of the movie, you realize that they're all friends, but they're all friends in a real way where they understand who each other are, and they all have relationships with each other, regardless of relationships with everyone else. And the thing that it's built around is, Shoko and Shoya's relationship. It's built around Shoya not only repenting, but accepting and choosing to love Shoko for everything she is, not just for not not just for the fact that she's a beautiful girl, not just because she's disabled, but because of the whole of her as a person. And that is Man, that's the dream. I gotta tell you, that's the dream. And on that note, now that we've ranted for a full hour and a half, over an hour and a half, including the advertisement, um, I have been Alex, and you've been listening to Lunchbox Radio. And if you like this podcast, you can um, check it out over at my new thing, which is called lunchboxpublishing.com. You can either go to lunchboxpublishing.com um by typing it into the search bar, all lowercase, um, or you can click the description. You can click the link in the description of this podcast. But that's where, like, all the stuff I do about anime, um, and occasionally live action things adjacent to anime, like, um, Lost in Translation, live. I um, that's all I'm gonna say about that because I don't want to get myself in hot water. But by not by saying I'm gonna do something and then not releasing it at a timely way. But um I hope you like it, and if you did like it, definitely share it with your friends. Rate me on iTunes, five stars, um, or whatever your podcasting app of choice is. I can be found everywhere. I, but until next time, I'll talk to you later.